If you would, turn in your scriptures back to that Romans chapter 6 passage we read a little earlier. Every Christmas I try to read something a little bit different, just to enjoy the Christmas season. And a book I'm reading right now is called Yuletide in Dixie. And it is a book about slaves in the antebellum South and how they experienced Christmas in the 1830s to about 1850s. And I wanted to share just a couple of stories um, from what I've been reading. The first one is about Jeremiah Logan. They called him Jarm. And in his journal he wrote, it was the night before Christmas... And he would remember later, it says, it was cold, it was clear and beautiful as a Tennessee sky could make it. It goes on to say that on that night, which was Christmas Eve, he stood outside of his slave cabin with his master's horse, a stolen saddle full of food, and a forged travel pass because they could never leave where they were unless they had written permission He sneaked inside briefly, it said, to kiss his sleeping mother on his forehead, not knowing if he'd ever see her again because that night he was escaping and for her safety and his, he could not let her know. He was taking what would be a week-long journey with a friend and they were headed to Canada because Canada meant freedom. Along the way, he records that they were attacked by suspicious white people who didn't believe that their past was real. But they got past them, and eventually they were helped by black people and other white people who were very sympathetic to their cause and gave them food and their horses food and water, and even showed them how to get in touch with the Underground Railroad, which they did not even know existed at the time. And although it was herring, Jarm made it to Canada And was finally free, free from his master who had enslaved him. All the book repeatedly says over and over again, Christmas was the best time of the year for slaves to seek their freedom. The second story briefly was on Christmas Eve in 1854, Harriet Tubman, who was known to everybody then and now as the fearless conductor of the Underground Railroad, On Christmas Eve, she went to free three of her brothers in Cambridge, Maryland. They had been given traveling passes to go see their mother, Uh, but they never went there. They never made it because they never intended to go. And it was Harriet Tubman that met them on the road and guided them to freedom that they enjoyed the rest of their lives. I read those stories and I read our text and it's been my prayer this week that everyone in this room would have a Christmas experience similar to that. And by that I mean this, like Jarm and Harriet Tubman's three brothers, that Christmas would be a time for you as a slave to enjoy the freedom that you can have in Christ Jesus. You say, Pastor Walker, what do you mean? I'm not a slave. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. So let me... uh, Let me explain a little bit more. In Paul in Romans talks about slaves and slavery more than any other New Testament book. In fact, it's not surprising as he's writing a letter to Rome. Rome was the capital of all slaves. There were 50 million people in the Roman Empire at that time. And the estimation is that 
15 to 20 million of that 50 were all slaves. Somewhere between 25 and 40% of everyone in society in the first century in the Roman world was a slave. So it's not surprising to us in our chapter in Romans 6 that he uses the word slave nine different times. And he isn't talking about physical slavery. He's talking about spiritual slavery. And and though it was true that one-third of everyone in the Roman world was a physical slave, can I tell you this? It's 100% true of everyone who has ever lived that we are spiritual slaves. See, this text wants to say to us this morning that every person, apart from Christ Jesus our Lord, is a slave to sin. If you read the entire chapter in Romans chapter 6, you'll find that Paul paints a picture of humanity and gives only two options. Everyone in humanity is either a slave to sin or they are a slave to God. And in Paul's mind, theologically, there is no other option. There are no other choices. And everyone who reads Romans 6, including every one of us this morning, has a choice to make. And it was Paul's intention for us to be that way. And that is this. Which slave are you? So let's take a few moments in the rest of our time and unwrap this morning the gift of God. And see how the gift of God in Romans 6.23 plays an absolutely vital, crucial, essential part in our freedom from spiritual slavery. So we'll look at just two things this morning. That's all. Two things. Slaves of sin and then slaves of God. Let's look at, look at them one at a time. You might be saying, Pastor Walker, before you ain't go any further, I got to tell you. I got to tell you this. I know I'm not perfect. Um, and I would maybe say this. I'm hardly a saint quote-unquote, but I think it might be a little much to come to church and have someone call me a slave, a slave of sin. Again, keep listening. Chapter 5 and 6 is structured this way. It's a series of multiple contrasts. Paul's going to tell you why that your spiritual slavery is a reality. In chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, he says there are two men, basically, that represent humanity. The first Adam who sinned and Jesus Christ, the second Adam who was righteous. There are, because of that, two kingdoms where people reign in. Chapter 6, sin reigns or grace reigns in your life. As a result, there are two lives that people live because of their slavery. One is a life of obedience or one is a life of sin and disobedience. There are two ways to use your Bible and your body in Romans 6. You're going to present your body for sin or you're going to present your body to God for righteousness. It's not anything in between. It's one or the other. There are two fruits in your life. The way that you live your life will have two results or he says two endings, verses 21 and 22. An ending that leads to death or an ending that leads to eternal life. There are two slaveries in this text. Slavery to sin or slavery to God. You see the building up that he does? This is the framework and we, we see. See, our life is completely antithetical. Everything in life, I know there are gray areas in some things, but theologically, this is a black and white situation because here's what he says. You are either the slave of God Or you are the slave of sin. And the question that is before you this morning that each one of us have to answer is, which one am I? Sin is the big term 
in Romans. 38 times it's used. 17 times just in our chapter in Romans 6. Paul wants it to be very clear this morning as you think about salvation and the gift of God. He wants you to know this, that everyone, everyone in here this morning, without exception, is an obedient slave to something or someone. Everyone. Paul, if he could stand here, I think he would say this to you this morning. The question is not whether you are a slave or not. The question is, who is your master? See, that's the real question this morning. You say, okay, Pastor Walker, I'm a slave. If I'm really a slave to sin or I'm a slave, how do I know who my master is? Well, he tells us exactly the answer to that question. Look at verse 16 in your text. You are slaves of the one whom you obey. Do you see that? Slavery and obedience were terms in the first century world that went together because the number one duty of a slave was to be obedient to their master. So he says, you want to find out who your master really is? Not fooling yourself or telling yourself one thing and reality being another. He says, you want to know what it is? Look at verse 16. He mentions obedient. Verse 16 reads this in Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey, which leads to death, sin which leads to death, or obedience which leads to righteousness? Verse 17. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves and have become obedient. See, it doesn't matter who it, you are. The master of your life is the one to whom you obey. Every single one in here this morning has a master. Jesus also taught this principle. In Matthew 6, 24, he says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Here Jesus says, You cannot serve God and mammon. There is no one in here this morning that has two masters. You cannot think, well, God is my master, but sometimes sin is my master. No, Jesus is very clear. Everyone has a master. And the question is not if you have one, but who it is. Listen to me. Put Paul and Jesus together. Paul says, you know how you can tell who your master is? Obedience. You know what Jesus says? He doesn't use the word obedient, but he says the same thing. Just flip the coin over. It's just a different perspective. Jesus says, you know how you can tell who your master is? Do you love that one or do you hate that one? Do you are you devoted to them or are you despised? Do you despise them? So how can I know, Pastor Walker, who my master is? Who do you, who do you obey? Let me say it more succinctly. Who do you love? Who are you devoted to? Let me say it more specifically. Who gets all your time? Who gets, your first, who gets the first dibs on your money? Who gets your calendar and controls your priorities and the, con and the convictions that you live by? Who controls your family? Who rules in your marriage? Who really is your master? Paul goes on to say, let me give you another litmus test to how you can tell who your master is. If you're a slave to sin, he says or a slave to God, it'll be obvious because of how you use your body. And I can't think of a more relevant application to this text than what Paul says, because in 2,000 years, things haven't changed much. And the way that you use your body is a great indication of who your master is. 
And in verse 19, he says, depending on your master, you'll present or you'll offer up your body to your, to your true master in one way or the other. You'll either use your body as members for sin or you'll use your bodies as members for righteousness or unrighteousness, either way. So are you a slave to sinful pleasures? See, there are people, and there are more than you think, that are shackled to sensuality in one form or another. Sometimes it takes the form of pornography, sometimes many others. And I've talked to people, and maybe you're one this morning, and you say, well, you know, I've tried to stop, and I've tried to stop many times, and then I don't stop anymore. And people who struggle with sensuality often lead two different lives, one public that they want everyone to think that is true of them, and one private, which is completely different. And sometimes people are so enslaved to the sensuality in their lives that they risk their marriage over it losing their wife or their husband or their children over it. And you know why they would go to such extremes and why they continue to struggle always, always, always and and never really getting past it? Well, part of the reason could be because it's their master. It really is in charge of their lives. And some people are, with their bodies shackled to sensuality, some people are enslaved to entertainment. And the first thing when they get out of bed before they're even quite awake in their hand is their master. We call it a cell phone. They have to see what's on the internet and what's been said on social media and how many likes that I get on my Facebook page or what the latest thing on whatever the social media outlet that you look at is. And it's the movies. I have to watch that and and be on the internet. And if I'm not in front of a screen, I don't really know who I am. Enslaved. Others are different. They're mastered by money, which means they're also controlled by their job. In fact, we might say they're enslaved to it. They work all the hours and more. They have to because they have to get the overtime. And it's never outrageous for them to take the overtime because they need the money. Because they have things they need to buy and vacations they need to take and cars they need to show who they really are in life by the brand of which they drive. And see, their identity is their job and their performance and the promotions that come with it so they can tell everybody, see, look, I have, really do have purpose and meaning because those things have become their master. And you would say this morning, ah, come on. Let me tell you the truth, Pastor Walker. I am my own master. Maybe for now, but not for long. Because when sin is your master and you are its slave, It fools you and promises you things up front that it never intends to fully give to you so that you can think that you are really in control, that you're really the master. And for a while, sin will let you think that and act like it. But the reality is you never really are. And before you know it, you have exchanged your master position to being the slave position. And it's easy for us, isn't it? It's easy for us to talk about the obvious slaveries that we watch everybody else and look at them and say, oh, we feel so compassionate about them. The alcohol, the drugs, the bad language. I mean, they can't say one word without other bad words coming out of their mouth. See, I went down to Kensington with our small group, as I showed you on the pictures, and I'm sitting there. And the first few minutes, I try not to say, I just want to serve people, listen to them talk. 
And you know what Kensington Street really is? It's really, in my mind, I've dubbed it Slave Street. Because everyone there is a slave. But they are slaves to the most obvious things. The girl in the picture who had a needle for injection as part of a decoration of her hat. She's slave to it. The girl that I met that had her nose with stitches all down it because she said someone had beat her up and taken all of her money just a few days earlier. And the people who we talked to, we offered help to get out of their condition, and they said they thought that they could do it on their own because this time was going to be different. Have you ever said any of those things to yourselves? Oh, not about drugs or alcohol, but about the things that's hidden in your life, in your heart, that nobody else knows about. See, Slave Street, it just isn't in Kensington Avenue in downtown Philadelphia. Truthfully, apart from Jesus, we all live on Slave Street. It just takes different forms and different ways. And some of them are sophisticated slaveries that everybody is okay with because I don't hurt anybody. But you're still a slave. And some of it's slave to pride, and that's why you don't get help. Slave to bitterness because you won't get right with people. Anger. Slave to people-pleasing, which makes you or encourages you to do a lot of the other things that you're good at. Sinful desires, lust, greed, envy, unforgiveness. See, they're not visible. They're invisible because they're inside. They're heart slaveries that maybe, perhaps, only you or someone close to you even knows anything about. Okay, Pastor Walker, you, you did your job. I get it. I'm a slave to sin. Maybe that's true. Okay. Tell me then, how can I be free? Verses 22 and 23 make that very clear. See, in contrast, slaves of God are people not obeying sin. They obey God. They, love, they don't love sin. They love God. They're not devoted to their sin. They're devoted to God. It's a huge contrast. And therefore, the gospel truly is an invitation to become a slave to God. Now, you have to understand first century to realize how farcical that really is. Nobody in the first century was invited to be a slave. You were made one. Nobody bragged about being a slave. No one thought highly of a slave. No one wanted it to be their identity that they were a slave. It was something, if anything, it was they were embarrassed by it. They didn't want anybody to know it, although they knew everybody knew it. The Apostle Paul himself was a slave. Before he met Jesus on the Damascus Road in Acts 9, he was a slave from things that maybe you have been or have thought about. He was a slave to religious achievement. He was slave to moral superiority. He was a slave to his good works that thought it earned God favor and he would be right with God because he was better than everybody else. See, he was a religious slave. And that's what a lot of people who come to church are. See, there are rebellious slaves like in Kensington and there are religious slaves in churches. And they are all equally slaves to sin. Romans 1.1, the very first verse of this entire book that we're looking at in chapter 6 this morning, Paul introduces himself. Imagine this. He says this, the opening line, Paulos doulos in the Greek, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. Who does that? Who does that? 
Slaves had no rights, no ownership of anything, no recourse in a court. If you were taken to court, you were already convicted because you were a slave. No citizenship, no choice in anything, no dependence, no freedom. You are just property. Knowing all of that, Paul says, let me tell you who I am by choice. Paul, a slave of King Jesus. Do you understand? There were a myriad other choices he could have called himself by. He could have introduced himself many things. Great pioneer of Christianity, planter of many churches, author of half the New Testament, worker of miracle, recipient of divine revelations. There are all kinds of accolades and kudos he could have given himself, but you know what he chooses? I'm a slave. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Why would he do that? Why would you do that? He tells us in verse 16, but thanks be to God. Every time, and there's six times in the New Testament, one in our passage, one in Romans 7, 25, four of them outside the text, but every time Paul uses it, here's what he's saying. He's saying, thanks be to God, and it always indicates a gratitude to God for an incredible reversal in somebody's life. You know what Paul, you know why Paul says, I choose I'm a slave. You know why? Because I can't get over the change God made in my life. Paul knew, read Philippians 3 for yourself, verses 7 and following. I mean, 1 to 6, I'm sorry. He said, I knew who I, I knew I was a slave. And I can't get over the fact that he appeared to me and reversed my life, changed it completely. And so he uses that little terminology. Do you see it? Verses 16, chapter 6, verses 17 to 22. Once I was this, but now I have become this. You were, you were, you were, he tells them. But now, see that? But now, it's the before and after thing. It's I once was this, and now I'm this. Because I once was a slave of sin, now I become the slave of righteousness. And he can't get over talking about for them and for him how Jesus Christ has reversed everything in their lives. On Friday, and I got her permission to say so, you probably don't know Veronica, but she's been coming just really a short time to our church, maybe a month. And there were some things going on in struggles she was having in her life and said, Pastor Walker, I'd like to come in and talk to you about them. I said, of course. So she came in on Friday and we started talking in the conference room, working through some things. I said, you know what, before we go any further, I want you to know that I won't be able to give you sound advice if I don't talk about the greatest need you have. And that is Jesus. And we talked and we talked and talked quite a bit more And I told her there's a difference between a religious knowing Jesus and a relationship knowing Jesus. And she said to me, this one's me, but this was what I want to be me. And it was a joy with smile on her face, almost relief, I would say. Veronica bowed her head and trusted Christ as her Savior. A reversal is what it was. You know what it was? An exchange of masters. An exchange of masters. How did it happen for Veronica? The same way it could happen for you. The same way it happened for Paul. You know what he says? Verse 17, look at it. He says in the text, But thanks be to God that you were once slaves and have become obedient. Notice the phrase. 
from the heart. Later on, he says, it was like a standard that was imprinted. It was like you pushed the standard. God imprinted his truth of Jesus on your heart, and it changed you. Can I tell you, you cannot reform yourself if you are a slave of sin. You cannot get free on your own because you work at it. You can't escape its chains and its shackles by being good or being religious or trying to reform yourself, and I'm going to do different this time and be better. Paul said, it doesn't work like that. It has to start from the inside and go to the outside. It isn't stapling better things into your life. No, it's a radical reversal on the inside from your heart. It is a new heart. And see, it changes your whole desire of who you want your master to be. In slavery in first century Rome, if you loved your master after years of being a slave, and he said, I will set you free and pay the price for you to be free, you could say this, no, I don't want that. I want to be your slave because I love you now. And I choose to be. And they would say that that would be recognized by a ring in your ear. And if you chose to have this ring put in your ear, you are saying, I choose to serve my master and I'm free to do it. Paul talks about the gift of God and salvation this way. When you become a Christian, see, you are at once free and a slave at the same time. Can I tell you this? Salvation in Christianity, receiving the gift of God, is not, it, it's not going from slavery to no slavery. That is not what Paul says. It is going from this kind of slavery, sin, to this kind of slavery, God. Today in our world, and you know this is true in America, that freedom is viewed as unlimited autonomy, and people in our cultural stand-up, I don't want anyone telling me what to do as if that's even possible in this country or anywhere else. From the beginning of our lives to the end, we are under someone's authority, are we not? But there's this dream of perfect autonomy and freedom that there's nobody, I will do what I want, when I want, how I want. They think that's freedom. That's not the Bible view of freedom. The Bible view of freedom is not being your own master, but finding the right master. And Paul would invite you to say this. See, true freedom is found in the true master, and the true master is none other than Jesus Christ. And so Paul says this. It sets you free. Sets you free. Three times in the text, verse 7, 18, and 22, he talks about setting people free. Free to what? Free to be a slave. It's paradoxical, isn't it? Free to be a slave to the one who you were made to be, designed to be the slave, to be obedient to him. It's the true freedom. It's the true satisfaction. See, the Yuletide in the South book was right. Christmas is the best time to escape, escape your sin and be free. But the freedom can only be found when Jesus Christ becomes your Savior and your Lord and your Lord Pastor Walker, why do you talk? Why is it so important? It's so important that Paul says, do you understand that this choice about who your master would be is a matter of life and death? Listen to the text in verse 22. But now you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God. See, there are two masters, two slaveries, and they have two results. If you leave here today and you continue to choose sin as your master, 
There is an end. It will result. There are consequences. And here's what he calls it. It will lead you to death. Yes, physical death. Yes, spiritual death. Most of all, eternal death. We call that hell. It leads there. But he says on the flip side of it, if you, by God's grace and movement of the Spirit of God in your life, if you come to the place where you recognize I need the gift of God and I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, see, if you come to him for grace and forgiveness through his cross, death, and resurrection, he says there also is a consequence, an end to that. He says it's eternal life, not eternal death. And here's how Paul describes it. If sin is your master, there are wages that you must pay. Wages, he says. See, sin is a wage. For the wages of sin is death. You will get a payment for your sin. A payment for your sin, and it is death. But God, can I tell you, thankfully, is a different kind of master. Sin as a master pays wages, death. God, through Jesus Christ as a master, gives gifts. What a difference. He gives gifts. And what better gift than eternal life? You don't have to perform for him. You don't have to do things to earn your way. You don't have to be religious per se. You don't have to do, it's not any of those things. It's coming to him and trusting in him that he died in your place. Will you receive Paul's invitation to become a slave of God this morning? One of the things I like to do, believe it or not, is to read famous grave markers from famous people's lives. Bill Bright, who died a number of years ago, was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. And on his tombstone, these words are etched. You cannot call Jesus your Lord without calling yourself his slave. It's impacting. You cannot call Jesus your Lord without calling yourself his slave. And that's the gospel. It's an invitation to make him Savior and Lord. And in doing so, you make yourself his slave. Well, Pastor Walker, what did Jesus do to set me free? How did he accomplish all this? If my case was so bad, how did he set me free from my slavery of sin? You know, it's the strangest thing. Listen to it in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not something to be grasped after, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took on him the form of a slave. And being found in fashion as a slave, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even a cross death. Remember what I told you earlier? Slavery and obedience go together because that's what the slave's world is all about. Jesus, who is God, became a slave. He was born to Jewish people who were slaves. He lived a slave's life. He died a slave's death. If you were a Roman citizen, you could not be crucified because it was beneath you. Only slaves could be crucified. Jesus became, God became a slave to free you from being a slave.
See, his death, what does it say it is? An act of obedience. As a slave, he became obedient. Well, how obedient to his master would he be? He would go so far as to die on a cross. He lived the life you could never live so that he could die the death you could never die. A slave saving slaves. The God slave saving human slaves. It's a story that you can't get anywhere else, but it's real. It's the Bible. That's how much he loved every single one of us. But can I tell you this? He died to make you his slave, but ultimately more. Don't turn there. Romans 8.15 says, God has not given you again the, the spirit of, or the slavery of fear, the fear of slavery, but he says this, but he has made you his adopted child. Ha, you are a slave of God and a son of the true living God. What a reversal to celebrate. See, it's time, isn't it? It's Christmas time. And you know what that means? It's the best time for you to escape. It's the best time for you to escape your slavery and enjoy the freedom that only you can have. Let me close with this. I read in the book, Yuletide in the South, that on Christmas time, all over the South, in so many plantations and places, that if you were a slave on Christmas Day and you would come by your master and he didn't see you coming and you went up and grabbed him and said, Christmas gift, then he was obliged to give you a Christmas gift. It's the only way you're going to get one. I thought, that sounds awesome. I'm trying that at my house for Christmas. Imagine today, your true master, Jesus, is here. And you walk by him and you grab him and say, Christmas gift. And he says, here you go. Here's the gift of God. Eternal life through my, my cross, death, and resurrection. See, that's the greatest gift of all, is it not? No wonder Martin Luther King exclaimed, and this is only for physical freedom, as great as that is, but what do we say it for spiritual freedom? Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty we are free at last. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around at these Christmas services, we've been giving you the opportunity to respond to the gospel, the free gift of God. It's the only thing that can change your slavery. Oh, the invitation is just what Paul said. Will you choose by God's grace to leave behind your slavery to sin and say, I willingly choose to be the slave of God, to take control of my life. I want my life now to be obedient to him, to love and be devoted to him. I want him to take control of everything in my life. And, and I need him to forgive my sins and I need to repent of them. And I recognize that this reversal only can happen because he died as a slave in my place. He took the slavery. He didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve that slavery, but he took it for me. He bore my slavery, my sin. And through his resurrection, when he conquered it, see, he gives me victory. He gives me 
freedom if I'll put my faith and trust in him. It's a complete reversal of your life. It's a new life, and it starts in your heart from the inside out if you let him change it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would there be any this morning who would say, Pastor Walker, frankly, I have been, and I recognize it now, a slave of sin. But I don't, I don't want that anymore. I want the once comments and the were comments to be me. I want to become the slave of God. I want to put my faith and trust in what Jesus did for me when he died and rose again. I want to be his slave for the rest of my life and his son, his daughter. With no one looking, you'd say, Pastor Walker, pray for me. I want to be that kind of slave this morning. Would you just raise your hand and I'll do that in a few moments when I pray. Anyone? Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Thank you, the balcony. Thank you. Anyone else? I want to exchange the master of sin for Jesus. I want him to take over my life. Anyone else? Maybe you're a Christian here this morning and you know you've received the gift of God, but you have to say, Pastor Walker, I know I have victory. I've been unchained and unshackled, but you wouldn't know it by looking at my life. You know what? I'm not living in that freedom every day like I should. There, there are still things that really control me, really control me, and they're too close to being a master in my life, and I need to ask God and get right with him so that I can live out that freedom that he's given me as a Christian. Would you just slip your hand up and I'll pray for you also? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We have new members that we're going to welcome in so the deacons know that here in just a few minutes. But we're going to have our last song before we do. And I'm going to invite you through the Apostle Paul to come make an exchange. And all you have to do is say, Pastor Walker, I want to make the exchange. And I'll know exactly what you mean. And I'll get someone to show you from Scripture how you don't any longer have to be the slave of sin, but you can be the slave of God and know and receive the righteousness which only comes through Jesus Christ and his cross, death, and resurrection. That can be yours today. If you're a Christian and you want to come and pray with someone that you might by faith live out that freedom, whatever your need is, would you do that? Would you don't hesitate? As we just stand and sing a few verses, would you come? I want to make the exchange. Father, help us. Only you can transform a life. Only you can free Only you can break the power of sin and cancel it. I pray for your great name that you would do just that. That we might rejoice and with Paul say, thanks be to God. May the gift of God change lives. Even now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.